This morning I'll be reading from John 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then said to him, follow me. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Uh, thanks, Jonathan. Jo Jonathan is my stepnephew, by the way. I just wanted you to know that because some of you think I hatched out of an egg, but I, <laughs> I, I didn't. I actually have family. Um, yeah, I know, I know some of our ACU students are a bit sad today, and I, I am too, and I just want to invite you to lean in a little more because I'm sure what you need today is to hear a gospel word, and I'm going to try not to let you down. I'm going to try to speak a gospel word into our sadness. Um, I'm like a lot of you. I have the experience from time to time when I will stop at a stoplight, and a car will stop beside me, and that whole car is rocking to the music. Sometimes my car is rocking to their music. And the driver, they're, they're, they're doing their thing because when you listen to music, that's what you do. And in fact, since people have earbuds in all the time, I'm often trying to figure out what people are listening to while they're, while they're bopping around. Um, because you don't bop the same way to all kinds of music. And... Uh, I especially, you know, like it when the uh, uh, person beside me in the car is, has their eyes closed and their hand up. I know they're listening to Christian music. They get honked at a lot. Um, uh, but I have to admit that my favorite kind of music is classical music. Uh, it's hard to admit because like when I go to a symphony concert. I'm one of the youth group. Um, now let me tell you about those of us who love classical music. When we are by ourselves and we're listening to classical music, do you know what we do? We conduct. That's what we do. Oh, it's wonderful. And our favorite part of the conducting it's the grand finale. We've had this 45-minute piece of music. It's been loud. It's been soft. It's been slow. It's been fast. It's been sad. It's been happy. And then we get to the spectacular conclusion, this magisterial loud note, and we love to conduct it. 
my hair flies back. <laughs> that was hair, singular. It flies back. Oh, it's wonderful. Um, here, here's a picture of um, one of my uh, favorite conductors. That's either uh, Johannes Brahms or the Unabomber. I get confused. Um, Brahms wrote uh, four symphonies. Uh, they all get played today in the symphony hall, but one of them gets played a lot less often than the other three. And it's not because it's not as good. The one that doesn't get played so often is the third symphony. The reason it doesn't get played so often is because the end is so quiet and so soft, you're not even sure the symphony's over. There's no, at the end, we all jump up and roar and clap. None of that. It just fades into silence. So it doesn't get played so often because we in the audience, we don't know what to do. We're out there sitting, watching everybody else. Is it time to clap yet? We haven't had the big loud note. Which brings me to the symphony I really want to talk about called the book of John. Oh, John, he can write a symphony. And he comes to that spectacular conclusion in John chapter 20. Jesus has appeared to the apostles and he finally appears to Thomas. Thomas places his hands in Jesus' wounds and says, my Lord and my God. And John roars many other things to Jesus which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe and by believing might have life in his name. But this is a different kind of symphony. Because instead of lowering his baton like he should, John keeps on writing. And he writes this quiet, painfully beautiful conclusion. After he's written the big, the big finish. And I can't help but wonder why. He missed the big finish and he keeps writing. He tacks on this quiet little story and I'm just going to spend my time together for a few minutes trying to answer this question. Why does John tack on this one last story? Um, so let me be the uh, school teacher for just a moment uh, show you something. Here's the structure of the book of John. Um, you know, it's really pretty simple. He, he's got this prologue. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And we don't really understand it, so we move on. And then the, the, the first half of the book is a series of miracles that Jesus does that John refers to as signs. They, they point to who Jesus really is. And then the book of glory is just about Jesus' march to the cross because in John, glory is always about the cross. So you have this very simple structure. You have this little introduction, and then you have this book of signs, and then you have the book of glory, the way to the cross, and then lo and behold, John just tacks this thing on the end. Now I'm wondering, why does he 
do that because it doesn't really fit. Or let me show you even more clearly. Um, here, here are all those signs in the first half of the book. And uh, you will need to memorize these. They will be on the test. Uh, they always have been. Uh, but instead of memorizing them, why don't we just count? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oops, eight. Now there's an awkward number. Seven is the number. And we have, in the book of signs, seven signs. It's perfect. It is the most gloriously perfect symphony that you can imagine. And then, lo and behold, John whacks on another one at the end, upsetting the whole structure. And I want to know why. Now he's got my attention. We got a little miracle here that's kind of out of place and out of sorts with the other. Now we have a Mr. Rogers thing going. How is this thing not like the other? So I have to know, what's it doing here? So let me sit in the text for a minute. Um, one of the things I always try to do when I preach a gospel text is I, I, I try to invite myself into the text. So uh, I invite myself into this uh, uh, fish cookout. And uh, this is going to be tough because I don't care for fish. Uh, but here I am. I'm, I'm sitting in the circle around the campfire. Think, think of me as the substitute for Judas. And since it's my story, I am sitting on Jesus' immediate left. I'm sitting right there. And Peter is on the other side of the campfire. This isn't, the isn't in the text, but it's in my story. Jesus says to Peter, why don't you... Come over here and sit with me. And he comes and he sits on the other side of Jesus. And now I am present for what is going to be one of the most awkward conversations in the history of the world. And there's one way where I don't really want to be here for this, but there's another way where I got to know. What's this going to be like? Poor Peter. He betrayed his best friend. An enormous spiritual failure. Uh, and I'm thinking in some ways for Peter, it would have been better if Jesus had stayed dead. He'd have had to live the rest of his life with having betrayed his best friend. But now it turns out he's betrayed the king of the world. And some preacher 2,000 years ago is still going to be pointing it out. Oh, it's awkward. Oh, is it awkward. And the thing about the Bible is you can't hear the inflections. But in my story, you can. And Jesus leans in. A little smile on his face. It's Peter. Do you love me? And Peter can't look him in the eye. But he says, yes, I, I love you. 
Feed my sheep. Awkward pause. A little more serious tone. Peter, you love me? I love you. Feed my, feed my sheep. And then that third moment, when Jesus stares him dead in the eye without a hint of humor and says, Peter, do you love me? And it is so painful for Peter. He says, well, you've risen from the dead. You know you're the king of the world. You know everything. You know I love you. And this isn't in the text, but Jesus says, well, I knew that, but I wasn't sure you did. And so there's this conversation where Jesus gets Peter to reaffirm his love for him because I got news for you. Although those of you who are married already know this, love and perfection have almost nothing to do with each other. Love is full of failure. Love is full of weakness. Love for Peter was full of disaster, but he loved Jesus. He just wasn't up to it in the moment. And Jesus, far from just kind of, kind of cratering Peter, each time he reaffirms his love, he tells him to feed my sheep. He calls Peter to ministry in the midst of his enormous failure. The truth of the matter is, Peter's never been more ready to do ministry. Now he's not going to be angry. Now he's not going to be arrogant. He's going to be the kind of minister Jesus can use. He's going to be the broken one. And I know everybody thinks Acts 2 is his best moment, but it's not. It's Acts 10 when at great personal risk, he opens up the mission to people like us, non-Jewish people. It's a heartbreaking, wrenching scene. Uh, but then it, um, it takes another turn. Where Jesus says to Peter, you know, I know we walked along the Sea of Galilee, told parables you didn't really get, gathered some followers. That was a joyful moment. But I got to tell you, that's all over. The future is going to be different from that. People are going to take you where you don't want to go, do things to you you don't want done. And John editorializes about this. He, he, he says, Jesus spoke to him about this, telling him the kind of death he would die. But Peter's never been good with subtlety, and I doubt he got it. But the message is clear enough. You can't go back. Oh, there may have been a time when your faith was simpler. and You weren't carrying around this baggage of your, of your failure. But those times are over. The faith we have in God is not a faith for yesterday. It's a faith for today and tomorrow. And he's calling Peter forward. He says, you can walk into this harrowing future because I ask you to come and sit by me. Now, 
I'm getting there. Why does this book end the way it does? Now I feel ready to answer the question. The book of John was probably written sometime around, oh, I'll pick a date, 85. 50 years after the event, John is an old man. And in the year 85, things are changing for Christians. It's now become clear that Christians aren't some odd sort of Jew. There's something else entirely. They're starting to get kicked out of the synagogues. They're starting to have the experience of paying a social price for being Christians. And so, some of these Christians have walked away. They're what we would call lapsed Christians. They're, they're leaving because of the price they're having to pay for being Christians. And John can look out his window and see this. And there's a debate going on among Christians who stuck around. What should you do with those people who left? If they want to come back, do you just want to let them come back? Or do you want them to do penance? Do you want them to have to pay some price? Do you want them to have to prove that they're really, really committed to Jesus? And so, John tells this story. When a person has had the most enormous spiritual failure that you could imagine, Jesus' word to them is, come sit by me. And so he answers the question, to all those Christians who've wandered away, who says, do you really want to walk away from the king of the world? This is why John doesn't finish with one spectacular, loud note in John chapter 20. But, enters, but closes so quietly, we can hardly hear it when he welcomes all of those believers to believe again and the ever-forgiving, ever-loving God says, come sit by me.
Conductor John on this quiet note slowly lowers his hands. Now we know it's time to clap. Not with the spectacular finale, this quiet, 
beckon home. Um, our prayer ministers are going to be up at the front. Some of you have had spectacular failures. Some of you have had the failures of everyday life that we all have where we are not as faithful to Jesus as we wish we were. But even though the symphony is over, the story's always the same. The ever-loving, ever-forgiving, ever-waiting God through Jesus Christ says, come sit by me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power through Jesus Christ before and evermore. Amen.